Uh, this morning when I came in, uh, Greg Langford, he runs tech back there. He's so mad at me that I just used his name. He's like, hey, did you hear about the snow coming in? I'm like, what snow coming in? I don't know about any snow coming in. I don't want snow until Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. And I know that you're with me on that. And apparently there's some weather coming in. And it reminded me. It reminded me how the Midwest has this thing about it, like the lake effect and how if you don't like the weather in the Midwest, you just need to wait like an hour and a half and the weather will change in the Midwest. And that's just the way it is in Indiana. And that's okay. It reminded me of this story. Back in 2008, I'm coming home from studying abroad when I was a senior in college. Really neat opportunity, great privilege to study abroad. You know, when I was a student at Anderson University, I spent my first semester, my senior year abroad. It was really, really cool. But it was the semester just before the new year. Now, when the semester was over, my layover flight was at LAX. And if anybody knows anything about Southern California, and especially that airport, you know to try to avoid that airport at all costs because of just how gridlocked that airport can be. And it's just such a central hub for, for flights. And it, that's really the crossroads of America is LAX. It's not Indiana. And so it was the winter of 2008, and there was a Midwestern snowstorm here in Indiana, not in Southern California. But when I had landed stateside in California and I got off the plane, I realized that because it was the morning of Christmas Eve, that place was a madhouse. Now, I want you to picture in your mind's eye for a moment just how crazy LAX would be on the morning of Christmas Eve. Everyone is trying to get to their destination and get there with as little stress as possible, which is such a pipe dream. And I'm sitting there and I'm on the flight and I finally get off the flight and I get into the terminal there at LAX and I look around and I have never seen that many people in one place. I've never seen that much chaos and festivity in, in one location. And I looked around and I found the TVs and I found my connecting flight from LAX back to Indianapolis. And I realized that that flight was leaving in 45 minutes. Now, looking around LAX, it became apparent to me that I am not going to make this flight. There's just no way. And everyone else is going to miss their connecting flight too. Because we all, the whole world, decided to come back to LAX on this Christmas Eve in 2008. Now, in 2008, I, I'm still, you know, I'm a college kid. I'm, I'm just about to graduate the next spring. You know, I'm, I'm 20, 21 years old. And so Christmas was still a little magical. You could, like, go home for Christmas. That's like a thing when you're still 20. And so I was looking forward to getting home for Christmas. I had been gone from the States for three months. I was looking for, I had Christmas presents bought for my brothers, for my parents. I couldn't wait to just get home, tell my parents all about the journeys and the learnings from that semester and give them these neat exotic gifts from my travels. And I just couldn't wait to get home. And the joy set before me for Christmas morning began to fade when I realized everyone in this airport's about to miss their flight. So I was not in happy circumstances. I had never missed Christmas before. I was just privileged enough to have never missed Christmas. I couldn't believe that at this point in my life, this was the first time I'm going to miss Christmas. 
The lines for the security were an hour and a half, two hours long. The check-ins for that after that were another 45, 60 minutes. It was likely that I was just going to spend the night. And we're going to have to sort this all out on Christmas morning. And then I had the idea, well, my brother, older brother, he travels quite a bit more than I do. I'm just going to call him and tell him the bad news and see if he has any tips or tricks to navigate this next, you know, stage of my journey at LAX. So I called Jake and I say, hey, Jake, you got to tell mom and dad that there's just, there's no way I'm making it home in time for Christmas. There's just no way. LAX is a madhouse right now. I'm, I'm going to miss Christmas morning. He goes, really? Is it that bad? I'm like, dude, there's lines up and down the escalators. There's, there's no, I mean, no one is moving. It is a gridlock at LAX right now. He goes, okay, LAX, LAX, LAX. Luke, look for the pet check-in line. And I was like, what is a pet check-in line? He goes, well, everyone in Southern California has a dog the size of their football in their purse or their backpack. And I'm telling you, they, they accommodate that. There's like a pet check-in line. Go see if you can find the pet check-in line. And I was like, okay. And so I went to the top of the escalator and I kind of began to scan around to see if I could find a sign that said check-in with a pet or like something like that on it. And sure enough, I saw the pet check-in line and no one was standing at it. But the problem is that I didn't have a pet with me. I was petless on this Christmas Eve. So I didn't know how I was going to take advantage of this pet check-in line. I'm like, Jake, how did you know that there's a pet check-in line? He's like, I got to go, man, see you. And so, okay, we, I had to go. So I'm not saying I'm proud of this. I'm just saying this is what happened, okay? I turned my backpack around to my front side, and I took my puffy jacket off, and I stuffed the backpack with my puffy jacket, and I had the lid open on the backpack and open like this, and I began to pat <laughs> the backpack just like this. I'm not saying I'm proud of it. I'm just saying I did it. And I thought, there's no way. There's no way this could actually get me home in time for Christmas. So I was like, nah, what do I got to lose? I'm 20. I want to get home for Christmas. I got to go try this pet check-in line. And so I decided to walk up to the pet check-in line that nobody else was at. Even the persons in front of me that had pets were not at the pet check-in line. And so I walk up to the pet check-in line. And I go, uh, here, ma'am, here's, here's, my, here's my ticket. She didn't even make eye contact with me. She didn't care. I was patting my puffy jacket backpack. <laughs> she checked me in, and I made my flight home. And I bypassed like 10,000 people by using the pet check-in line. I have since repented of that ethical line that I crossed, okay? I share this with you that was a former life, okay? I had joy on the horizon. I was like, I'm making it home for Christmas. I'm not missing Christmas. Even though the circumstances were less than ideal, less than happy, I still got home for Christmas. 
I'll tell you that really goofy story to share with you the theme of what I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will integrate into your soul this morning. That joy is the attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of a happy ending. Because of a happy ending. Now, this is where in the sermon, I'd like to do something we've never done before. I just want to pause. I want to pause. I want to come down from the laughter. And I want to ask you to take stock of your life, even if it's just for 10 or 15 seconds. And I want you to be able to identify the very unhappy circumstances in your life right now, in this month of December, where everything is supposed to be happy. It often can be eclipsed with the very unhappy realities of being gridlocked. And maybe you're not stuck at the LAX airport right now and are going to miss Christmas morning, but you are gridlocked and everything is working against you. And so that your circumstances are not producing joy. They're producing chaos and confusion. Let's just take 10 seconds. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take stock of your life and identify and name in your heart unhappy circumstances. likely that there are co-workers at your workplace that are toxic. It could be that your boss is a micromanager, making December really hard to finish. It could be that you just discovered that you have a very serious medical problem or condition, and you are just unsure of how to proceed. It could be that your grown children do not want to come home, for Christmas. There's a, a thousand unhappy circumstances that can be present in our life at any given time. If those circumstances, friends, have the authority to dictate your joy, it will certainly be an unhappy holiday. Here is the gift that I want to give to you this morning that I'm certain you're not sure if you want or not. Like, I don't know if I want that gift, Luke. I'm going to give it back but here's the gift nonetheless. It's the gift of truth. If joy's source is circumstantial, then mood swings are our future. Do you understand, church family, how easy it is for us to experience joy circumstantially? Do you understand how joy comes for our experience in waves of happy circumstances? And if the circumstances aren't happy, then joy is not present. However, because of Jesus and because of his birth in very unhappy circumstances, and because of his redemption of mankind unto himself, we now have the opportunity to experience joy despite unhappy circumstances. And I'm just sure that we have a church this morning full of people longing for a joy, a joyousness, a, just a, a laughter, a happiness, a, a godly joy that is above and supernaturally ascends above circumstances. 
regardless of whether the circumstances are happy or not. And I am not the only one who has been metaphorically gridlocked in very unhappy circumstances. Joy has to, friends, come from somewhere else, a source that is beyond your circumstances. Joy has to be given and provided for in a different source, from a different source, for it to last and for you to experience it, regardless of whether your circumstances are happy or not. My favorite cut of meat, come on now, is bacon. Who are my bacon people? Thank you for confessing that. Yeah, bacon all day. Let's go. I love bacon. However, I have become kind of like snobby with bacon. And so like just grocery store bacon doesn't do it for me anymore. Now it's got to be locally sourced, right? It's got to be like from the farmer down the road who just raises like a certain amount of pig for the year and then, and then slaughters them and then sells the bacon. And there's no nitrites or nitrates. Like it's all like super bougie bacon, right? There's those of us right now who are sourcing our joy from something or someone who doesn't have the authority to give you that joy. I'm going to ask you this this morning. Where is your joy sourced from? Where is your joy sourced from? Because if it's not sourced from a greater power, if it's not sourced from a greater source, I like to get my bacon. I like to get the pork chops. I like to get some of those fine cuts of meat from like the local farmer down the road who spends a lot of time and attention on that particular cut of meat. The grocery store bang doesn't do it for me any longer. I want to I challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to implore you. There are many of you this morning who are settling for a joy that is circumstantial, but could have so much more joy if it was sourced from a credible, reputable source, from something or someone who has the authority to source you joy. There are those who come into church on Sunday mornings, our church, every church, who put what I call the Sunday smile on. And so we kind of look the part, because there's something about church culture that uh, kind of makes you smile. And church is happy. I, I do love, I love worshiping as a community and a congregation, and that often puts a smile on my face. But what is often unseen in the church is that people's faces smile, but we don't know that their hearts are, are frowning. And how easy it is to put on a Sunday smile with a frowned heart. If you are here this morning and you have a Sunday smile but a frowned heart, you are welcome here. God loves you. I hope that you feel included in this church. I hope you feel welcomed and warmly embraced in this community. You can have a frown on your, on your heart this morning. That is okay. But God is offering you more. God is wanting something for you more than that. The story of the shepherds in the Gospel of Luke, when Luke takes this tradition and recounts it, he makes emphasis on the shepherds. Now, the shepherds tend to have a reputation in the manger scenes of being like the, you know, the, the nice caretakers of the, of the animals and they're well-dressed in the manger scene and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct history here for a second for those of you who have a misunderstanding of shepherds, like I did for so many years. Shepherds actually, instead of being like, you know, the ones who were um, admired or respected, 
often the shepherds were given the assignment of caring for the flocks because it was the lowest form of service in the ancient Near East. It was the lowest, it was the most disrespectful, unadmirable role to serve in the, in the ancient Bible times. And often shepherds were actually not so much shepherds like we would think of shepherds. They were actually uh, ex-criminals assigned to a certain job that was unadmirable and unwelcomed in society. And so when the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2 talks about shepherds, there needs to be an understanding that the shepherd's circumstances were not exactly happy circumstances. They were relegated. They were trying, they, society was trying to forget about the shepherds. Just put the shepherds out in the fields. Make them live there and do that really dirty field work with dirty animals. So shepherds got relegated and assigned to that unwelcomed job. Now that you have a little bit of history about shepherds, it, Luke chapter 2 is going to read a little differently. Look at the text this morning in verse 8. It says, and there were shepherds, it says, living out in the fields nearby. Have you ever lived in a field? I've never lived in a field. I don't know what it's like to live in a field. Like, what was my source of food? What was my source of shelter? These circumstances aren't exactly happy. These circumstances aren't exactly the kind of circumstances I would find great joy in. I would just tolerate them and bemoan them and be frustrated because of them. But it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then in verse 9 it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Don't you think it's cool that the angel of the Lord first met up with the ex-cons in the field? Doesn't that just tell you something about God's heart? Doesn't that just tell you something about his spirit, his, his tenderness, his mercifulness, his character overall? He's like, well, I'm going to send the angel of the Lord first to those who are experiencing the most unhappy circumstances. I'm going to give the angel of the Lord a great message to give those who are suffering under this assignment of animal care and, and living in a field. I love that about our merciful God. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Well, why? Why shouldn't I be afraid? Because you weren't here and now you're here out of nowhere. So I'm a little afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great, what church family? Joy. For all the people. For all the people. A little bit of a rhetorical um, intention there for all the people. The shepherds have been like, does that include me? Does that include, like, am I part of all the people summary? Does that include me, the one who got assigned to this job with dirty animals and, and living in the field? That, that includes me? This is going to bring me joy too? Could it be that circumstances will convince us to count ourselves out of the joy that God offers freely? Could it be that some of us are metaphorically shepherds and our circumstances have 
talked us out of being recipients of God's joy? I think so. Otherwise, we'd have smiles on our faces and on our hearts rather than frowns. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So how does that cause me great joy? Can you imagine if you were in the shepherd's boots or sandals or whatever they were to do their job, and they heard that the news that brought great joy was that this Messiah promised to the nation of Israel, now since Genesis 3.15, multiple generations waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, and finally the Messiah is coming, not in the way they all thought. They thought this was going to be kind of like a rolled out red carpet, purple robe, spectacle of an event that did not happen, but instead it was prophesied that he would be coming in the form of a baby. Now, if these shepherds had any connection to their own Jewish heritage, they would have recalled, they would have known that this angel of the Lord was telling them the truth, that joy was now also theirs because the wait for the Messiah is over. The end of their story is the beginning of the next chapter of their story. The nation had waited and waited and waited and waited for this baby to be born. And finally, this baby was born. And the sign would, you're going to find it. You're going to find it wrapped in and torn up cloths, lying in a manger, which is a food animal receptacle for water and feed. Likely, it tucked back in a cave because they didn't have a lot of wood in, in the East Middle East at this time. And so it was likely tucked in the back of a cave. And that was supposed to somehow bring them great joy. And if the shepherd's joy was circumstantial, as it probably was before this news, they'd be some very unhappy campers, and they would have frowns on their hearts too. And I, I want to share with you this morning that in one sense or another, all of us have been where the shepherds were. All of us spiritually have been in circumstances that have not caused us great joy. We have all said things or done things or been a part of something, complicit in something, where we have found ourselves feeling the weight of sadness and remorse and chaos and depression and anxiety. And there have been spiritual circumstances that have eclipsed any joy coming our direction. That word joy in the Greek is kara. Can you say that? Kara. You really got to emphasize that part of that. It's Greek. The definition is feelings of joy and happiness, which I find only partially helpful. What's the definition of joy? That's kind of like joy. <laughs> the feelings of joy and, and, and happiness. And that somehow the angel of the Lord brings good news that brings this great feeling of joy and happiness. And the Bible does this all of the time, the Bible pays no attention to what I would call spoiler alerts. Have you ever been watching maybe like a, 
a movie with somebody and that person has seen the whole movie and they're about to say like, oh, you're about to see a great part. Like, shut up. Like, don't spoil the end of the movie. Okay, here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible does not care about spoiling the end. The Bible spoils the end all the time. God wants you to know the end of the story. God wants you to experience the joy that comes with what is coming. God desperately and went to great lengths to document Israel's history in what we now call the Bible, and then the church age after that, which we call the New Testament. And then there's a part of the Bible, there's one part of the Bible that has yet to come true yet, and it is the book of Revelation, a prophecy about after the church age, what is coming at us. And this brought great joy to the shepherds whose circumstances were less than joyous. Now, the Messiah was coming. Our circumstances, our scenario, our reality is the Messiah is coming again. He's coming again. And for those of us whose circumstances are dictating our joy, you don't have to allow your circumstances to dictate your joy. You can look beyond your circumstances, supernaturally allowing the living word of God to tell you to spoil the end of the story. You can watch the Bible's movie unfold with your brother and sister in Christ, and you can both know how the story ends. I don't know what you've been told. I don't know what church you grew up in. I don't know what kind of theology formed your perspective of what is going to happen at the end of all ends, the end of time. But heaven is actually not our final destination. Look at 2 Peter 3, 13. It says, but in keeping with his promise, we, the church age now, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Righteousness is a beautiful set of holy circumstances that will bring about a good measure of joy. Heaven is that glorious waiting room where Jesus is at. It's a waiting room for the recreated heaven and earth. When you think of heaven, you can just think of, well, wherever Jesus is at, that's where heaven is. And that's where you and I will be before the new heavens and the new earth are created. The end of the story is amazing. The end of this whole thing is so joyous. Look at Revelation 21.4. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. A lot of our unhappy circumstances bring about a lot of tears, a lot of lack of joy, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief. But it says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, amen, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away, which means we cannot comprehend the new order of things without just looking at God's word and allowing it to shape and form for us the end of the story. 
Some of us are gridlocked. Some of us are so stuck right where we're at in our unhappy circumstances, but we want to go home for Christmas. All you have to do is meditate on the end of the story for the spiritual joy to flow into your life and have the authority to dictate joy for you regardless of your unhappy circumstances. All of the bad and ugly parts of life will evaporate and be a distant memory in heaven and in the new created earth and heavens. And all of the good and beautiful parts of life today will be perfected in heaven and the new created earth. That is the end of the story. That is how all of this ends. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You got to look for the pet line. You got to look for the source of joy to point you to the end of the story, which is a time with Jesus before the heavens and the earth are recreated. There is a joy that is a supernatural joy that has authority over our natural circumstances. And I don't care what unhappy circumstances you are currently gridlocked in. My prayer and my hope is that the Spirit brings you out of those circumstances and brings in you a heavenly joy because you know how the story ends. A time where all those tears and all those deaths and the bad news about disease and the bad news about your children and the bad news about your work becomes a distant memory in heaven and the new created earth. The pioneer and perfecter of faith is what the second part of verse two said. For the joy, look at this, set before him. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition, such unhappy circumstances from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What does that mean? It means that Jesus had joy not because of his happy circumstances. There was nothing happy about that cross, but because he knew the happy ending. The joy set before him. The joy set before the Messiah, born in a manger. Wealth and poverty is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say about that. And he grows to a man of 33 years and does a three-year discipleship ministry and then completes his ministry by the suffering of his body on the cross of Christ, a horrible Roman crucifixion, unfair trial, painful, horrible. He was buried and is resurrected three days later, displaying his sovereign power over death, presenting an opportunity for us to be in union and relationship with him, an integrated life with that of his spirit so that we might know, despite your unhappy circumstances, that the end of the story for you, friend, ends well. If you have faith in Jesus, 
you have all the joy that is set before him is set before you. You have every reason to have a happy smile on your face and a happy smile on your heart despite your circumstances. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not know God, you've got hostility with God because there's not yet been reconciliation between you and God. You only need to place your trust in his son, Jesus. There's a longing on his spirit's part, a groaning on his spirit's part to have your life integrated with his life, that your life would reflect that of the word of God so that you might walk in freedom and run the perseverance, the, the, the race set before you. And you now can be completely you in Jesus. Your circumstances no longer have the authority over you that they once did. The times in my life and in my ministry where I have seen the greatest joy is when we have somebody come into the baptistry and they are struck with just the weight of the decision that they're about to make. They're struck with this reality that this old life of mine, I don't want to be associated with it. I don't want to identify myself with the worst parts of my story. I want to be identified with the best parts of Jesus' story. I want to be associated with God and God alone. And something happens. I'm telling you, it's so cool. I wish you could be in the water with me from time to time because to see people's faces transfigured from a face of almost panic, perhaps circumstantially unhappiness, anxiety or depression, to see that face then go underwater and come out and see that person's smile on their face, it strikes your heart. It strikes your soul. It changes you to watch Jesus change someone else. It is amazing. If, if, if you have unhappy circumstances and you've got a frown on your heart this morning, dear friend, and you've not been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, what is holding you back? What fear, what anxiety is keeping you from that step of faith? This morning, we're going to baptize someone, which is a great lead-in for the Spirit to move you to perhaps get baptized today too. Don't, don't end this year with unhappy circumstances. Allow the Spirit to bring about you a new joy because now you have confidence in the end of your story. Spirit of God, we come to you in prayer on the third Sunday of Advent as we talk about the theme of joy and try to understand how we can be sourced from the local source. You, Jesus, the word of God, the end of the story, we can have joy despite our unhappy circumstances. We can have joy because we know how it all ends. We know that heaven is where you are at. We know there will be no pain, no weeping, no death, no mourning. All of the bad parts of life will fade away. All the good parts of life will be perfected in your presence. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth where we will dwell with you permanently together. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait for that, Jesus. Come again, God. Come again. So we set our joy on the end of the story, which has the authority to bring about a joy, joyousness in our hearts despite our unhappiness of today. God, if there is anyone this morning that needs to take the step of faith and turn the frown on their heart into a smile on their face and their heart, by the sacrament of baptism, would your spirit move in that person 
with that person to have the courage to take that step of faith. Perhaps they can just grab the hand of the person next to them and that person can escort them and be an accompany to them as they take that step of faith. God, we, we wanna see your spirit move on this beautiful, incredible Sunday of Advent. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for spoiling the end of the story for us so that we might know joy, a joy, a supernatural joy that's sourced from you and you alone, God. We pray these things. We ask these things. We claim these things in the good name of Jesus and his people together said.